Welcome to Think Intentional Podcast, a conversation designed to help individuals become high performers in life, leadership, and nutrition. I'm Sergio Cortez. Today we have Courtney Joy, Chief Creative Officer of Joanna Digital Agency, an organization that creates beautiful and integrated websites for multifamily communities. Courtney is not only a leader in her industry, she also brings a lot to the table when it comes to helping people become extraordinary leaders. Courtney, thank you for being here today. Let's go ahead and dive into our first question. In your blog, Why Speaking Your Mind is Costly, you wrote, Whether it be in marriage, friends, co-workers, business clients, or complete strangers, all relationships are like bank accounts. When we do someone a favor, listen when they need to talk, show up on time, affirm them, or do what we say we're going to do, we're making deposits into those accounts. So how do you teach others to have that same approach, to to listen and to show up and affirm them? Uh, That's a great question. Um, I think it it might be two parts, really. Uh, First, I think you have to be really consistent in the way that you live these out for yourself and really set the example and the expectation in each relationship that you're going to really hold up um, your end of that relationship and that you're going to make an investment into them that makes it worthwhile for them. Um, And that kind of communicates in a subtle way that um, you expect the same thing back from them. Um, Secondly, if we're talking in an organizational context in business, um, I think it's really important that you let your team see you in tough situations, um, that you let them be a part of the hard conversations and observe how you navigate those conversations and then talk to them about why you approach things a certain way and why did you say it like that and um, how come you weren't blunt about this? How come you circumvented that issue there and teach them that emotional intelligence piece? You know, we're not emotionally intelligent by nature. Um, I think it's something that's picked up on and it's something that we can hone when we have good leadership around us as well. Um, And so those are really the two main things I would say is be an example of it, set the expectation in each relationship But then, you know, be transparent and let people see you in those tough situations and see how you handle them. Yeah, I think that, you know, especially nowadays, that's so important, that transparency in leadership. It just makes so much of a difference. Uh, So what is the grid you use for creative decision making? Well, I kind of have a couple of things that I like to keep in mind anytime I'm faced with. Uh, decisions or having to solve a problem of some sort. Number one, I try to maintain what I call emotional mobility. And that really speaks to the emotional intelligence that I just mentioned. But it's really a mindset where um, you've trained yourself that no matter what the situation holds, no matter um, what uh, defenses are up when you're talking to people, no matter what the tension in the room is like, that you have control over yourself. And um, you have created a paradigm for yourself that you will always be emotional, emotionally mobile. And what I mean by that is um, that my reactions are not based on the reactions of other people, that I have a set of values that are at my core 
that dictate the way that I speak to people and the, and the type of conclusions that I come to and in the way that I solve problems. And I'm going to keep my core, I'm going to keep the integrity of my values, uh, no matter what's being thrown at me. So it's the ability to step back from the situation when it's tense and be able to look at the larger picture and say, okay, what, what are the puzzle pieces that need to fit together? How do I find a solution to what's going on and just stay cool headed? So, um, I think that's really important in decision making. The second thing that I do is I really listen to my gut. And I know that's not wildly popular. And I know that the gut can sometimes be misleading. But I think if we change um, our perspective on gut decisions, it would really help to enforce better decision making. So I think people have a misconception that gut decisions are all emotional but I actually think really good gut decisions are a mixture between intuition and your value system. And intuition is different than emotion. Um, emotion kind of points back to an experience you may have had before. And um, it's coming up again because you've had that same pattern repeat over and over. But intuition really has no pre-existing notion of anything. It's something that I think we can hone, that I think we um, get better at the more self-aware we become. Um, and the more committed we are to being emotionally mobile people, we build that intuition inside of ourselves. And when we couple that with a really strong moral core where we don't stray from those values that we've deemed important in our lives, that we're actually able to make very quick decisions uh, with a part of our brain that maybe isn't geared so much toward the logic and the reasoning, the way that people are used to making decisions. There's a time for that. And that certainly plays into every decision that we need to make. But sometimes even logic and reasoning can be misleading um, because our gut really holds um, some of the more eternal things um, like our moral values. And so I think when we allow that to guide us, it helps us uh, make better decisions in life in general. What do you think has been the best, best investments of your time and relational capital? Oh, yeah, got you. That's a great question as well. Um, I would say the first thing that comes to mind is that um, the most important thing was never competency. Um, I think it's highly important uh, to become very valuable in an area um, and to hone your competency. But I would say it's not the most important thing. The most important investments that you can make as a leader is in people. Um, and being very clear on what drives you, being very clear of your purpose um, makes all the difference in how you position yourself in relation to your team, whether they be peers or people below you or people above you. Um, and bringing value to an organization or to a person's life um, in the most maximized way because you're, you're so aware of and you're so clear in your values and how you position yourself in that relationship um, really is you're able to capitalize even more on the investment that you make in the organization or the people. Um, and they're the most important thing. You know, at the end of the day, the competency just it's, doesn't matter. It's going to fade away. When I go forward five years and I look back on what I'm doing now, I'm not going to remember the projects I worked on. I'm not going to remember the items that I checked off the list. Um, but I am going to remember the people in life that I did it with. And I'm going to remember those investments. I'm going to remember how those people grew. And I'm going to remember the milestones that they reached and um, just watching them be successful. So 
um, people, it's all about people for me. Yeah, you know, I think that's such a great uh, statement because when we're in our deathbeds, uh, we're not worrying about the car payments or, or the the things that we bought. We're, yeah. we're concerned about our, our relationships. So that that's a great answer. That's right. Uh, so what are two or three things you're glad you do as a parent of young children? Yeah, so the first thing that comes to mind when I think about that might sound a little funny, but I'm actually glad that I work. I'm glad that I work full time. I think that um, when I'm doing what I know is right for me in life and I'm confident in that, then I get to be an example to my children of what it looks like to be faithful and disciplined in the pursuit of your purpose in life. And I think that is um, highly valuable to a child to, to grow up watching their parents be confident and being full of purpose. Um, you know, I grew up in a home where my parents, they, they weren't very invested in the jobs that they had. They did them because they loved their family and they supported us so well, but they never actually loved what they did. And so I was always determined that no matter what I did in life, I was going to love it. And I want to be an example of loving what I do to my children. So number one, I'm glad that I work. Um, number two, um, I think that most young children, it depends, but I think most, but especially mine, they really thrive in routine. And, but at the same time, I try to not be too stubborn in that and not be too rule driven about that. I think that um, there are times in life where we have to flex on the routine and the schedule in order to create delight and surprise in life. And so um, I want to create an environment that they thrive in. But at the same time, I want there to be flexibility so that we can all enjoy life together and create those memories um, together. Um, and the last thing I would say is one of my favorite things to do with my kids when I get home, because when I get home, I have very limited time with them because I've been at work all day and um, they have, you know, a pretty good sleep schedule. They go to bed pretty early. And so I have to maximize about an hour and a half to two hours of time with them. So one of my favorite things to do when I get home is just to be crazy and make it so totally fun with them, you know, because they're in they're with a sitter all day long who the sitter is absolutely amazing and a godsend to my family. And I, we just love her and the kids love her so much. But when my kids come home, it should feel different. It should feel dynamic. It should feel like just the craziest, most reckless love. And so um, that's one of my favorite things to do with my kids is just to be crazy and wild and have fun for those two hours of time when I get home. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's so important. I, I have a lot of little kids in my family and the thing that they thrive on the most is that attention that, you know, we give them. So yeah, yeah. that that's fantastic. Uh, so what do you, what's, what do you think you do to continually grow as a leader? Uh, in other words, what fuels your creativity? Oh yeah. Uh, I have a long list here. So growth is like my thing. I am, I'm what Ken Coleman from Entree Leadership Ooh. calls a growth junkie. <laughs> I am all about it. So, yeah, it's such a great word. I love That's it. exactly it's what describes me. So, I constantly read. I love to read nonfiction books, things that make me better, uh, things that challenge me. So, you know, I try to set a goal for reading every year, um, and it's not hard to meet because I love it. I dig right in and I just move from one to the next. Um, 
Second thing is I'm, I'm very disciplined in my writing. Uh, writing is something that I believe I'm supposed to do in life. Not everyone is, but it's something that I uh, feel called to do. So I uh, have made that a discipline for myself. And I always say as a writer, sometimes you don't even fully know what you believe about something until you write it down and begin to iterate on that. And then it becomes like this fully formed idea. And the writing in and of itself grows you. It grows those concepts and makes those roots really deep in you um, and gives you the confidence to be able to, to articulate what you really believe. So that is definitely in my growth strategy. Um, I listen to podcasts. I love podcasts, um, mostly leadership podcasts. Um, I work out all the time. I love to be in the gym. I love to train hard and challenge myself there. That is huge to uh, my creative energy and my productivity during the day. Um, When I feel better, I perform better. So I love to work out. Um, And the last thing is I just never fear the challenging situations. You know, if there is um, a challenge that pops up, whether it's in work or it's in my personal life, I am on it. Like I just jump right in there because um, those are the situations that really grow you and stretch you, and I never want to miss an opportunity. Yeah, that that is fantastic, and I, I do a lot of the same. I mean, I have a bachelor's in English, so I'm constantly reading, I'm constantly writing. Yeah. Like you, it's just something that I feel called mm-hmm. to. But I agree, not everyone is called to write, and and then when you write those principles on mm-hmm. paper, it really just affirms them, and and you know you see what you're really yes. made out of. Um, but yeah, so yeah, and it brings them to life for other people. Your ability to articulate that is unique in the world, and people need to hear that. The how you distill things down into simplicity in an easy to understand yeah. way. Is yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So, how do you handle interruptions when you are, you know, either focused on writing or you're focused on a project at work, or you know, maybe you're at home and. Mm-hmm. You're focusing on something that's really important and your kids just want that attention. How do you deal with those interruptions? Yeah. I think this might be one of my favorite questions so far because um, I think this, how people respond to interruptions says a lot about their leadership. So I have several thoughts on this. Uh, Number one, I think that as leaders, we have to stop seeing interruptions as problems or a hassle and we have to start seeing them as opportunities. Um, you know, when I'm in my office and I'm plugging away at a project and someone pops into my office and they have a question or they need help with something, I've trained myself to just snap to attention and to look them in the eye and stop what I'm doing. Even if I'm in the middle of typing a sentence, I'll stop what I'm doing. I'll look at them and I'll help them with what they need because I see that as an opportunity to show that person that what I'm doing is not necessarily more important than what you're doing. You know, we're all in this together. I'm here to help you become successful in what you need with your job. And I want that's a powerful message to send to that team member that no matter what it is, you'll stop whatever you're doing um, to help them. And that's a really easy way to uh, create trust in your team. Uh, The second one is, you know, obviously there are times when as a leader, you have to put your head down. You have to grind away at something. You really do have to block off the time. Um, and get something done, something critical has a deadline on it, has to get out. So um, I think in those situations, I think a practical thing to do would be to block that time off on a calendar, treat it the same way you would a meeting. 
uh, block that time off to, to indicate that you're not available then. And then um, try to make yourself scarce. You know, there, if you have a job where you can work remote, you know, maybe you could do it from home, maybe you could do it from a coffee shop. Um, I would go off site if you could. I think it's very important um, that we establish an association between our presence and our availability. And we never mix um, our availability or our unavailability with our presence. And what I mean by that is that if I'm at the office, I am always available. I'm communicating. If I'm present, you can come see me at any time. And sorry. And establishing that association, what that means for your team is that they don't have to walk on eggshells around you. They don't have to come into work wondering, are they going to be amenable to me that day? Are they going to be responsive or are they going to be a little bit annoyed? Are they going to treat me like a nuisance? You know, when people begin to walk on those eggshells around you, that just immediately engenders distrust in the team. So I think maintaining the integrity of that presence to availability association is really important. Um, And then the last thing I would say is there's something that I think as leaders, we should just cut out of our vocabulary entirely. And that is to tell someone that you're busy, you know, for two reasons. Number one, it can come across really patronizing because everybody is busy. Um, So to assert that you're busy to somebody who comes up to you and asks you for help kind of implies that either they're not busy or your busyness is more important than theirs. Um, and the second reason is as a leader, you're never not going to be busy. I mean, so it's, it's not something that you can just throw on the table and say, hey, let's find a problem to the solution. It's, it's a tension that will always exist in leadership. You will always be pulled in the direction of getting your own work done versus helping someone out with what they're doing. It will always be a tension that you have to manage. And the quicker you can learn to manage that more, more graciously, uh, the better leader that you'll become. Yeah, you know, hearing you talk about this, I remember when uh, a long time ago I used to work for the Waldorf Astoria Hotel, and mm-hmm. that was the first time that I remember walking into a manager's office, and I, I could see that he was busy, but he stopped everything that he was doing and just, you know, all eyes were on me, and, and he just he gave me that attention, and it and it yeah. impacted me a lot because I never forgot that. I, I mean, it taught me that I could trust yeah. them. And that was really, really valuable for me because I was able to build a friendship with them. And, you know, not all people are able to build friendships with their bosses. But I, I think in this case, it was a little bit different. But, you know, I, again, it was just such a huge impact that I made on my life and and how I am to perceive interruptions in my own life. So it, it was, it was valuable for me. It was mm-hmm. a valuable lesson. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Again, it's just such an easy way to create that trust. I don't see why you wouldn't just make the small tweak in your paradigm. Uh, just say, you know what, this isn't a nuisance. It's an opportunity and just go for it and, and create that trust with that person. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. So yeah, in, in my own personal life, failure has been really instrumental to my personal growth. I mean, it's given me the opportunity to learn from my mistakes and leverage success. And in Brene Brown's book, Rising Strong, she talks a lot about transcending failure into courage and rising above difficult circumstances. So in your position as 
chief creative officer, what were your biggest failures and how did you find the strength and the spirit to get back up? Well, you know, when I was very young in my leadership, obviously I was much rougher around the edges. Um, I lacked a lot of empathy. I, I didn't have that relational intuition. Um, and so when I was working with people, I kind of had the approach of, well, why can't you just do it like this? Or I know this is out of outside of your job description, but I need you to do this. Uh, why can't you just be willing to do that? Aren't you invested or why can't you just learn it? Um, and so I, I sort of approached people that way. And there was one relationship in particular where um, it really was a failure for me because for about two years, I kept treating that person like they ought to do things the way that I saw it. And um, it didn't ruin the relationship. We still have a great relationship now. Um, but I learned something over those two years, and I finally came to the realization that every person is different. As simple as it sounds, every person is wired differently, and it's in my best interest as a leader to learn each individual and what drives them and what and how they're really wired and tailoring my approach to them to get the most out of them so that they're successful, not in a manipulative way, not in a way that benefits me, but in a way that makes them who they're supposed to be. And if you can find that path for them, even if it looks completely different than yours, and you can uh, kind of take them by the hand and lead them down that very niched path that's really specific to them, you'll see a lot of growth in that person. And it may not be growth that uh, you originally thought it would be, and it may not be growth that looks the same as it does in your life, but it will be um, a huge growth in their own life. And that is what is most rewarding. And so I think, I think coming out of that, you know, I, I was really hard on myself over that relationship um, two years later when I realized, man, I just really lacked that, that relational intuition and that empathy that relationship really needed. That person really needed my guidance in a way that I was too hard-headed to give them. And I was really hard on myself over that for a long time. Um, but, you know, ultimately, it's, it's lessons like that that kind of build our resiliency. And I finally just came around to realize that, um, you know, the relationship is very healthy right now. So um, I did something right in that I maintained that I didn't burn any bridges there. Um, so I think kind of just reframing our failures um, to be in a context of a much larger picture makes us more resilient people and makes us uh, be able to forgive ourselves. I think that's really the huge thing is, you know, if you're in a leadership position, it's probably because, you know, you're very driven and most driven people are kind of driven toward perfectionism and they want to get things done the right way. And they're very hard on themselves and maybe less forgiving of themselves. Um, and that's going to be a bottleneck for your learning experiences when you fail. So the quicker that you can uh, learn to forgive yourself and um, not be so hard on yourself, um, the more resiliency you'll build in failure and you'll start to actually rejoice in the failures. Um, so I think it's kind of a mix of disappointment and joy when we fail because we always learn something out of it if we um, have 
shifted our paradigm to say, what can I learn from this and how can I get better? Yeah, no, I, I think that what you said, reframing the failure was so, so important. And, you know, I try to do that with a lot of my clients is helping them reframe that failure and, and the forgiveness mm-hmm. process because it's not always easy. It's, um, it's complicated yeah. and, and there's things wrapped around that. And so it's really just about letting go. So I, I agree 100% yeah. with that. So in, in one of your posts, you talk about graduating from responsibility to authority. How do you, how do you do that? And what advice would you give to young leaders who are looking to grow and their authority? That is a great question and one of my favorite things to talk about. Um, And the way to kind of start that is let's define what the difference between responsibility and authority is. So responsibility is really all about your competency. It's about um, your technical know-how. Are you able to execute? Are you able to, am I able to hand you a task and you're able to do it, do it with excellence and be the expert in it. You know, that when when you're able to execute, then you're building the trust with the person who's giving you that responsibility and they continue to give you more and more. So responsibility is all about competency and what I can bring in that realm. The difference between that and authority, though, is that authority has a different component to it. It has a more intangible component. And I like to say I have a kind of a formula for authority. Authority is proven competency plus earned influence. So that proven competency part is the responsibility. So if you've got that part down, you know, if you become a very dependable person, very, very technical in what you do and execute with excellence, then you've got that responsibility piece. The second piece that you really need to learn if you want to be handed more of the authority is that you have to earn the influence with people and you're not going to do that with competency. Uh, you are going to earn influence with people when you begin to invest in them as people. So we have to, um, it's kind of on two fronts. We have to be very clear about our values in life. What are the eternal values that really drive us? Is it kindness? Is it generosity? Is it servanthood? You know, you have to think what are those things for your life that are non-negotiables for you um, that you will not waver on and that, is going to drive every decision that you make and every connection that you have with people. So getting really clear on those values is important. Um, uh, The other thing is that you have to learn to invest those values into your organization Um, because uh, authority is always, it's going to have this component of uh, being invested at a different level than responsibility. Responsibility and asserting my competency is really all about me as the individual. It's about what, what do I have the expertise in? What am I able to execute? But authority is someone who opens up and says, okay, how can I make the organization move forward? How can I help these people around me, my peers and these people under me, and even these people above me, how can I guide and lead all of these people to get behind the mission and push it forward and really invest my values into the organization? Um, And then the last thing is just how do you serve people in the process? That is a huge way to earn influence with people is if they can see from how you communicate and what you're willing to sacrifice, whether your time, your energy, um, if they're able to see that you're fully invested in their success, that is a quick way to earn influence with people. So I would say 
just being consistent uh, with uh, coming alongside people and saying, what can I do to serve you? How can I, um, how can I make your job easier? What can I own uh, that would help you to the next level? Um, that's just an easy way for people to see that you're really invested in their success. You know, listening to you say that, I've, I remember, you know, I, I know my values and sometimes I notice with other people that when they're at work or when they uh, when they're with other people, you know, whatever the occasion is, sometimes their values conflicts with the overall organizational values. Um, I know that's not a question I initially asked you, but it just came to me just now. How do you mm-hmm. deal? How do you discern between the organization's values and your values if they're completely different? That's a really great question. Um, I guess it would kind of depend on the situation. You know, may, it might be a situation where um, it's a situation where you just need to listen and really hear the heart and the intention behind the values that you feel are conflicting. And it may be just a matter of belief. Like you haven't come to that level yet. Maybe you have oversight that has a a lot more experience and a lot more wisdom. And they're asserting a value that maybe you just need to dig into more. And maybe you just need to get behind and find that belief within yourself and say, okay, um, I've done my research. I've looked into this. I can get behind this now. Or it may be something that's more negative that's conflicting. Like you have a value of um, that you're always going to be kind, but you're working within an organization that may be manipulated to people or they're putting their profits um, over taking care of people and being integrous with their relationships. You know, uh, when it's those negative things, then that becomes kind of a different issue. And I would say in those situations that bide your time where you are, that you don't compromise on your values. You don't compromise on your performance within that organization. You continue to do your best. You continue to put out excellent work. Uh, You continue to take ownership and to be respectful to the people above you. But at the same time, you should have an exit strategy in those situations. If it's just going to conflict, it's going to conflict, especially at that negative level. You're you're probably not going to turn them one way or the other. So you have to have an exit strategy, I think, in those situations uh, while still maintaining your integrity as a person by doing well until it's time for you to transition. That was a great response. Thank you for that. So, Courtney, if leaders or listeners want to reach out to you and learn more about what you do and how you can help them grow, what would be the best place for them to do that? Well, I'm pretty active on Instagram. Um, My leadership account is called Design Your Leadership, all one word. Uh, My personal account is Courtney Joy, and my website is CourtneyJoy.com. That's where I'm posting all of my writing and all of my leadership articles. Um, And so that's sort of the medium that I'm using right now to uh, communicate some of those principles and passions in my life. Courtney, thank you so much for being on our show. I really appreciate you sharing some of your insights with our audience. It was uh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Please visit thinkintentional.com to learn more about us and our services. And remember to subscribe on iTunes for our latest episodes.